you would, turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 14. Kind of done things a little bit backwards with this uh, Proverbs series. If I haven't do over again, I'd probably arrange it a little bit differently. The past couple of weeks, we've been talking about wisdom and some of our key relationships, so marriage and, and parenting. Uh, and today, we're actually going to turn, and we're going we're gonna to turn wisdom inward. And we're going to look at how wisdom addresses our emotions. And, and one helpful way to think about our emotions uh, is in terms of dashboard lights, right? Uh, all of you, at least all of you who drive, are familiar with dashboard lights. Some of you have been driving around with that check engine light on for quite some time. So you know uh, what these are for, right? They, these little lights that show up on your dashboard and you take your car to the mechanic so that He'll plug up his nifty little computer and tell you if it's something that you really need to fix or if it's just that catalytic converter that, uh, you know what, it's going to be way too expensive to fix. So you just, you just leave the check engine light on, right? Uh, but, but those lights let you know that there's something going on underneath the hood that needs some attention. And that's, uh, that's how our emotions can function, right? They can work kind of like those lights, those indications that something is going on underneath the hood. Something needs to be looked at. Uh, you may remember uh, earlier on uh, when we talked about wisdom, we talked about the heart. Uh, the heart in the Bible is not just our feelings, but it's actually the seat of our deepest desires. It's the control center. And it's out of that control center that our feelings come and our thoughts come and our words come and our actions come. Right? All of that comes up out of the heart. And so our emotions are like the dashboard indicators for our hearts. Um, and so what we're going to do today is we're going we're to imagine that God is, is that really good mechanic, right? And we're going to take our hearts to his word and we're going to plug them up and we're going to see what wisdom has to say uh, about these codes, about these emotions that our hearts keep throwing at us. And so today's, uh, the, the first text we're going to look at is Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. Uh, and if you are new with us, uh, this is the first time you've been with us, uh, we go through whole books of the Bible. Proverbs is a little bit different because it addresses a topic uh, with little tidbits here and there. So I'm going to read Proverbs 14.29, but then I'm going to reference other Proverbs as uh, we go through the sermon. So let's give our attention to God's Word. If you're using the, the Bible there in the rack in front of you, it should be on page 538. Proverbs 14. Verse 29 says this, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. God in heaven, would you expose the need of our hearts uh, would you help us to see ourselves as you see us? And then would you give us your wisdom? And would you renew and transform us by the power of your spirit? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think anybody would disagree uh, with me when I say that we are angry. Uh, the past few years have seen the emergence of some new words, words like outrage porn it's a, very, it's a very jarring term, I know, but it refers to any sort of media basically designed to make you angry. 
We have a tendency to get addicted to it. And when we do, we call that doom scrolling. I don't know if you've heard that word or not, but basically that's what happens when you just keep scrolling or surfing through things that make you angry, right? Now, that's really not anything new. Those are just new labels. Uh, because of our, our natural bent, right, we have a tendency to watch the train wreck, okay? So, like, our hearts already go in that direction, but we have a tendency, right, that fire is already there, and we have a tendency to kind of throw more logs on the fire. So, culturally, right, we're, we're angry. A, a Gallup poll in 2018 uh, said that Americans found that Americans were angrier then than at any point in the previous decade, and I don't imagine that anything in 2019 or 2020 or 21 has really done anything to make that better. I imagine we're still pretty angry. Uh, just this week, uh, I was backing out of a, a parking spot over at Neighborhood Grill. I uh, did not see the lady behind me uh, until she laid on her horn repeatedly. Uh, and when I did turn around to see her, and uh, I, could, I could see her from my mirror, she was throwing her hands up and making these faces and you know, jawing, and it's just like, oh, okay, just backing out. Easy, killer, right? Um, last night, last night, we were at a soccer game, uh, and, and two men uh, almost came to blows in the restroom over a toilet. That's right. Uh, so we're angry. We are, we are angry people. Now, as, as Zach pointed out earlier, anger does have its place, right? Anger is our emotional reaction to something that is wrong or something that we perceive to be wrong, right? So when we see children being abused, we rightly feel anger. Uh, when we see another person being treated unjustly or unfairly, we should feel anger. When we talk about things uh, like war or famine or poverty, uh, those things are not as they ought to be, and therefore anger is a right response. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is angry at such things. So, if we live in a fallen and broken world, and we never get angry at what's really wrong, then we are probably morally asleep. Right? If we're never roused to anger, then there's probably something wrong with us. So anger has its place, right? Anger can lead us to pray, to talk to God about what's wrong. Anger can lead us to fight for what's right. Anger can lead us to help uh, with what's wrong. So, so the Bible doesn't say that anger in itself is wrong, but the way that we handle it can be wrong. Right? The Bible doesn't deny the reality of anger it doesn't tell us to stuff our anger so that it just, you know, leaks out or explodes later. How does God's wisdom help us to navigate our anger? And the way that we're going to look at this, the way that the Proverbs treats this, remember there's this contrast between the wise person and the foolish person. And what we're going to see, right, the, the, the wise person is one who seeks and practices and lives out God's wisdom. The foolish person is the one who rejects God's wisdom and lives for himself. And so the, the one is a benefit to those around her, and the other is a burden. So how do those two kinds of people approach anger? 
And what we're going to see first is that the fool has a quick temper. Second, that the wise person is someone who is slow to anger. And then finally, we want to ask the question, how do we become slow to anger? Right? How do we move from the fool to the wise person? And what I hope we see is that as we wisely master anger in our own hearts, as we learn wisdom and anger in our own hearts, we'll be able to speak good news to an angry world around us. All right, so first the fool has a quick temper. Look again at 1429. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A hasty temper or a quick temper, literally a short spirit. We might say a short fuse or a hothead. That's the fool. And we're told that he exalts folly. That word exalts, right? It means to lift up. It's usually used in a worship context, right, where God's name is lifted up, kind of put on display for everyone to see. So, so what does the person, what does the hothead do? Well, he takes foolishness. He takes his folly and lifts it up and puts it on display for everyone to see, like the guy in the bathroom last night who was ready to punch the other guy for getting to the stall first, you know, like... That guy did not look respectable, right? He, he, that was not wise. It was not understanding. He was a fool, right? The fool exalts folly, right? She, she lifts it up high, presents it to everyone. She is foolishness on display. Proverbs 29.11 says this, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Gives full vent Nobody in here like that, right? Literally, he gives out all his wind, gives out all his spirit. One translation puts it, let's fly with all his temper. In other words, if she feels it, you know it. He lacks self-control. That's the fool, the hothead. Proverbs twenty-nine, twenty-two. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Right. So, as as one writer put it, anger is a uh, anger is a gateway sin. Right. It leads to others. So you can imagine where there's lots of transgression, lots of sin, lots of strife, but there's probably an angry person at the center who's stirring the pot. That's what. An angry person does. So see if you can identify with any of these faces of anger. Uh, They come from uh, uh, Ed Welch, uh, who wrote a book called A Small Book About a Big Problem, about anger. See if you can identify with some of these faces that he mentions. Uh, There's hot anger. It's the one we often recognize, right? Jealousy, wrath, war, murder. Quarrels, explosions, rage, envy, hate, vengeful, attacks, win, violence, oppression, abuse. That'd be hot anger. How about cold anger? This would be the silent treatment, withdrawal, indifference, the cold shoulder, controlling, you're stupid, detached. 
keeping score, criticizing, cold anger. Third face, covert anger, sarcasm, hides behind words like, just kidding, just kidding, grumbling, complaining, gossip, annoyed, frustrated, smoldering, irritable, entitled, eye-rolling, superior, defending, Hides behind words like, I'm just being honest. I'm just telling it like it is. I didn't say anything that was wrong. Right? You may not have said anything that was wrong, but you're most certainly a fool. Right? Covert anger. I don't know about you, but I've often seen all three of those faces in the mirror. And so if the fool has an anger problem, has a short fuse, a short temper... How about the wise person? Looking back at 1429, we see a phrase that's repeated multiple times. That the wise person is someone who is slow to anger. Now this is kind of funny. That phrase, literally, that phrase slow to anger in Hebrew literally means has a long nose. See? You want a long nose, right? And, that, and actually this is... This is you can understand this. I want everybody make an angry face right now and see what happens to your nose. Right? Usually, right, when you make an angry face, your nostrils flare and your nose shortens. Okay? And so you can see why somebody who is, why the Hebrews would say somebody who is uh, slow to anger or patient has a long nose. Their face is relaxed. Right? Now, notice that it doesn't say that the wise person is never angry, but is slow to anger, right? They have the opposite of a short fuse. And so, they're relaxed when wronged. Her feathers aren't easily ruffled. He doesn't overreact or seek revenge for every little thing. Proverbs 16.32 tells us this. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. What that proverb says is that, that being patient, being slow to anger, is better than being a mighty warrior. Right? Well, our, our, our picture of strength usually is somebody who's strong, win at all costs. But that's not the Bible's picture. That's not God's picture of a truly strong or truly wise person. Right? The truly strong person is not the one who can conquer a city, but the one who can conquer his own turbulent soul. That's where wisdom is. And so it should come as no surprise that that phrase, slow to anger outside of the Proverbs, describes one person in the Bible. And that person is God. Of the 14 times that this phrase, slow to anger, is used in the Bible, nine times it refers to God. In fact, uh, if you go back to Exodus chapter 34, uh, Moses is with God on top of Mount Sinai. Israel has just sinned against God by 
building the golden calf and seeking to worship it rather than the Lord. And so Moses has to intercede for Israel, go between Israel and God and plead for God to have mercy. And God does have mercy. And then Moses says, show me your glory. That's a big ask. Show me your glory. Reveal yourself to me. And so what God does is he says, well, I can't, you can't see my glory directly or you'll die. But he takes Moses and he hides him in the cleft of the rock and he causes his glory to pass before him. Right? But as he passes by Moses, he tells Moses what he's like. He reveals his character. And here's what he says in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. For the next thousand or so years, especially when Israel was in bad places, God would remind them of these words. It would be spoken again and again in the prophets to remind God's people of who God is. He's not never angry. In fact, he goes on to say that he does punish iniquity. But he's slow to anger. He has a slow burn. In fact, the fact that God had already put up with Israel from the moment he'd rescued them and then would bring them into the promised land even though they complained the whole way and doubted him the whole way and then for a thousand or so years after that, would continue to put up with them until finally he said, that's it. See, in our Bibles, that doesn't take many pages to unfurl. But in the course of history, it's centuries upon centuries that God is slow to anger before he finally says, get out. And even we read it in Micah, right? Even when he says, get out, what does Micah tell us? He won't retain his anger forever. He will tread our iniquities underfoot, that he will again have mercy. God is slow to anger. So, how do we become like that? How do we get a long nose? And remember that that wisdom is skill in living. So that means it's something we have to develop over time. It takes practice and learning and failure and more practice. But here are a few suggestions I think that God's word gives us in terms of becoming slow to anger. First, it may not come as a surprise, we actually have to slow down. Yes, in life in general, right, a frenetic pace to life usually doesn't make us very patient people anyway. But we need to slow down and we need to ask when someone does something that makes us angry, we need to ask, is something really wrong? Is this a real sin? Is, is something, has something wrong been done or, or are my preferences just offended? Right? We need to ask that question. Has some sin really been committed or is this just my preference not being met, my, my desires not being met? James 1.19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. Quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. Interesting that James puts them in that order. Quick to hear. Uh, Our current moment, well, and this is, it's true now, I think it's always been true. We're usually not quick to hear. We're usually quick to speak and slow to hear. James reverses that. 
quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So we need to listen first. We need to hear people. We need to ask better questions to gain understanding. So we need to slow down. And then we need to hold our tongues. Right? We need to be slow to speak. I know this may come as a shock to you. But your opinion may not matter all that much. I realize the internet has given you multiple platforms to share it. Just keep it to yourself. Okay? Quick to hear, slow to speak. Right? Proverbs ten twelve, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of sins. When I speak, what should I speak? Do I want to stir up strife? Or is there a word of love that will cover a multitude of sins? Slow down. Hold your tongue. And then third, overlook an offense. This is, my, this is one of my favorites, not because I do it very well. Probably because it hits me right in the heart. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Now, that word glory could also be translated beauty. Now, again, that speaks to a world in which right, all of us are kind of carrying around a raw nerve. That as soon as we're wronged, we got to respond. We got to push back. But wisdom says, you know what? It's actually more beautiful. It's more glorious if you overlook an offense. That the wise person is one who can let it go. That doesn't mean that the wrong is not wrong, that the sin is not sin. But it does mean that you can pass over it. You can let it, you can let it pass. Now, how in the world do we do that? And now we move from the, the exterior life, who we are on the outside, uh, to who we are on the inside. How in the world... Can I learn to overlook something when somebody has wronged me? The Bible gives us two suggestions here. First, I can trust God's justice. He, he is the one, Zach said this earlier, right? He, he is the one who has true righteous anger. There may be some things that I'm righteously angry about, but my righteous anger is always tempered with my own selfish anger. God's is never. Right? God's anger is always righteous. And so Paul says this in Romans 12. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So I, don't, I can trust God's justice. Right? I, can, I can overlook someone's sin against me because I can trust that God will punish all sin in his own time and his own way. He will deal with it. By the way, and this, is, this is where the category of lament comes in, right? This is the most common type of prayer in the Psalms. We often think, so, think of laments in terms of sadness, but they're also angry prayers. They're prayers that look at the, the hope of God's promise and the reality of being sinned against, and they say, God, fix it. You promised that you would have perfect vengeance. So I'm trusting you for that. We can do that, right? We can take our anger 
to God in lament, bringing the real us before the real God. Y'all, that's not disrespectful. And if you think that it's disrespectful, go read the Psalms again. There's inspired scripture there of people who are in God's face. Faithfully, right? They're not, they're not there um, with unbelief. They're there in faith saying, God, I want you to fix this. I want you to make it better. We can do that, right? So, so the first part of the way I can overlook an offense is I trust God's justice. I lament as a part of that. But then the second part is I can rest in God's forgiveness. If God has passed over my sin against him, which is far greater, right? I, I owe God a far greater debt than any of you could ever owe me. And so if God has forgiven my debt, then certainly I can pass over someone else's. I'm not saying that's not hard. Some of you have endured some very awful things. Some of you have have been through things that should make you angry and should make the rest of us angry. So I'm not minimizing that. But there is forgiveness, and we can work towards that. right? And it's those both steps, trusting God's justice, Resting in God's forgiveness, trusting God's justice, resting in his forgiveness. What does that look like? Well, Les Miserables tells the story of Jean Valjean. You may be familiar with this book or this musical or the movies. Jean Valjean is a man who has been released from prison. And he is hardened and bitter and angry. And the author of the novel, uh, Victor Hugo, describes him this way. During the years of suffering, he reached the conclusion that life was war, in which he was one of the defeated. Hatred was his only weapon, and he resolved to sharpen it in prison and carry it with him when he left. Maybe you've met that person. Maybe you are that person. And so Valjean is released and he has nowhere to go and he's not even allowed to sleep in a dog's house. But he makes his way to the home of a local bishop who invites him in, who treats him to dinner, gives him good wine and a warm bed. But in the middle of the night... Valjean decides to steal, even right over the bishop's head, and even thinks about killing the bishop in the process should he wake up. Um, But steals the valuable silver and runs away. Well, he's caught the next day, and the police, they bring him back. And the officer says, we caught him with your silver. And he says that you gave it to him. And the bishop says, I did. And then he looks at Valjean and he says, my friend, you forgot the candlesticks, the the most valuable part. And he takes those silver candlesticks and he stuffs them in Valjean's knapsack. And as the officers uncuff Valjean and walk away, here's what he says. Here's what the bishop says. This is in the 1998 movie. He grabs Valjean by the shoulders and looks him square in the face and says, Don't forget. 
don't forget, don't ever forget, you've promised to become a new man. And Valjean is stunned. He said, Thomas, why are you doing this? And the bishop says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I have ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Friends, the only cure for my anger and your anger is the grace of God. If God has poured out all the wrath that you deserve on his son, and Jesus has gladly received that wrath on your behalf, there's nothing left for you. There's no anger left. No anger that matters. And the only thing that's left between you and God is peace. And if there is peace between you and God, then you are free. And you belong to God. And you are made new. Do you believe that? That's the gospel. And it's the good news that we have to offer an angry, angry world. Let's pray. God in heaven, oh Lord, we thank you for your kindness to us, that you have ransomed our souls from fear and hatred, that we no longer have to carry bitterness around like, a, like an angry weapon to use against other people. Your grace has freed us from that. Lord, for those this morning who are harboring their anger, for those of us who continue to lash out in anger, especially when our preferences are transgressed, would you remind us again of your mercy? That you have bought us not with silver, not with gold. You've bought us with the blood of your son. And we belong to you. And so we can be slow to anger. Holy Spirit, would you give us that? Would you give us long noses instead of short fuses? May we be quick to listen and slow to speak. Slow to anger. Father, we also bring you our other prayers this morning where we pray uh, both in our community and around the country as school begins again, where we pray for students. Lord, some who are going back into public school settings, maybe for the first time, where uh, there's fear around COVID numbers going back up and Families are afraid. Lord, would you, would you quiet fear? Lord, students maybe who haven't uh, accomplished all that they needed to because of the last year's disruption, I pray that you would give them teachers who can help, who can be understanding and lead them. Lord, I pray for our teachers. Lord, I pray for Jay and I pray for Molly. I pray for all of the parents who homeschool. Lord, would you help us to, to lead in love? 
to know uh, what our students need and to give it. And I pray, Lord, that you would help our students to apply themselves, to work hard so that they would grow in your wisdom and in your grace. And Father, we pray for our world. Today we pray for the Korean Peninsula. It's remarkable that the capital of North Korea, Pyongyang, used to be called the Jerusalem of the East. Now it's the capital of a communist regime that punishes Christianity and all forms of faith. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters living and worshiping in secret. Lord, we pray for their protection, that they would be able to continue to live. Lord, for those of our brothers and sisters who are imprisoned, we pray for justice. And we pray that one day the people of North Korea would be free to follow you without fear. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of South Korea. And how many missionaries have been sent, second only to the U.S. in sending missionaries overseas. Lord, thank you for their testimony. Lord, we pray that they would remember their first love, that they would regain their first love. And Lord, we pray, if possible, for the peaceful reunification of the peninsula of the country of Korea in freedom, for the reunification of families who have been separated for a long time, and those who are working to a just end there. And we pray that you would bring peace and unity. Lord, now as we come to the table, your table, where you welcome sinners and you feed us, we pray that you would give us humble and ready hearts. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.